The first solo. What a momentous day in a student pilot's life that is. Once the sequence of three takeoffs and landings is complete, there's a realization that the private pilot's license is achievable. But one student pilot's solo flight turned into something much bigger. On the way home with his instructor, following the railroad tracks back to Fairbanks, Alaska, they spotted something very wrong on the ground, and they helped solve a murder. We'll hear all about it on this episode of I Laughed. I learned about flying from that. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of Flying Magazine's I Learned About Flying From That podcast. It's sponsored by Avemco Aviation Insurance. I'm Rob Ryder. Today, I'm going to be chatting with novelist and scientist Wayne Pinger, who lived in Alaska and studied the Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. His first solo became much more than that when he and his instructor saw a vehicle in a ditch off the side of a road. There was evidence that a crime had been committed, and Wayne's airplane and their observations were critical in helping the police apprehend the criminal. He'll tell his story right after this word from Avemco. Avemco insured their first plane in 1961. Ironically, that same Cessna 172 became Avemco's first claim. That's what started them on a mission to improve pilot safety. They even reward safe pilots with reduced premiums. You'll save 5% for caring enough about safety to be an I Learned About Flying from that listener. Visit avemco.com slash flying or call 800-338-8705 and ask an Avemco Aviation Insurance Specialist how you can save with the Avemco Safety Rewards Program. Now, I learned about flying from that. Wayne, as I mentioned during the introduction of the episode, that you and your instructor were a huge help to the police. I don't know if you as a kid always wanted to be a policeman, but I bet you always wanted to be a pilot. That's every kid's dream to fly an airplane, I'm sure. Uh, but that was, I couldn't afford it. Uh, a young guy married with a couple kids, and uh, I was not able to uh, afford an airplane, even though they were reasonably inexpensive at the time. Yet, you did buy an airplane. You did become a pilot. Tell me about the whole process. How and where did you find the plane? Tell me the story. Uh, the airplane was in uh, Reed, was at Reed Hillview Airport in California, uh, near, near San Francisco. Uh, a friend of mine came over with a trade of plane, and we were one night we were sitting there drinking a couple beers and uh, looking to trade a plane, and I found one that looked good. And I made a call and and uh, sent the guy a check and I told him I'd be down there in a week or so to take a look at it, and I would buy it if it was as advertised. It was, and uh, I flew down there and uh, bought it. Well, you what uh, was what was your thought about how you were going to get it back? What were you, were you just going? You didn't have a license. How were you going to get it back to Alaska? You okay? We have to back up here a couple of days. The the very next day after I sent the the deposit check away, uh, a friend of mine and I were on the elevator, and he's asking me what was new. And I told him I bought an airplane. He was a pilot, and he said if I paid his expenses, he'd fly it uh, back to Alaska for me. So uh, we flew down to California and picked it up. 
but, and, but uh, your original, back. but your original thought was you'd go down there, get the airplane, take some lessons, and in a couple of weeks you'd be a pilot. Yeah, well, if, how hard could it be? You know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize that. <laughs> you know that there was more to it. I mean, it doesn't take you long to drive a car. It, I was very naive about it. Gotcha. So your friend, um, he was the guy that decided to uh, make things a little easier on you to get it back. But was he uh, was he uh, much of a pilot? Was he an instrument rated pilot? Was he an instructor? No, no. He was a he's a private pilot. Did not own an airplane, uh, but he flew uh, out of the Arctic Flying Club, and he was taking uh, lessons uh, for his instrument rating. He's a pretty good pilot. Uh, I think. Well, on the way back, though, you ran into a problem that really kind of taught you one of your first lessons that we'll talk about later. But what what happened on the way back with that weather? Well, we had one day of marginal weather near Watson Lake. And uh, after uh, after waiting one day for the weather to to get a little better, it was pretty cloudy and raining a little bit, I believe. Uh, we took off one morning and heard that weather was better where we were going, uh, and uh, we're flying low, uh, just under the clouds, uh, maybe at a couple hundred feet above the above the surface of the lake. At the end of the lake, there was a there was a turn, made a little turn, and flew into a cloud bank, and uh, we were in the soup, and uh, I was uh, scared, but probably wasn't knowledgeable enough to be as scared as I should have been. And this is a non-instrument rated pilot who was in training. Yes. What happened? Well, he he did not panic. He grabbed the chart out of my out of my lap, and uh, he just firewalled it and pulled it back and trimmed it out. We were in a we were in about an eighty knot climb, and we he was just keeping the wings level, and we were going up. And at uh, ninety five hundred feet, we came out of the clouds. There was a little icing, not much. Uh, but anyway, we came out of the clouds into the into the sunshine, and uh, that was about the only adventuresome thing that happened on our trip back. How did you find an instructor to teach you how to fly that Cessna 170? A friend of mine had a float plane, and he recommended a man by the name of Horace Black. And Horace was a CFI. Uh, he's a bush pilot. He had about 20,000 hours. And... Um, and he was a guy, there were two ways to fly a plane. There was his way and the, or the highway. <laughs> but uh, we finally, uh, we came to terms. I, I was as naive as I could possibly be about flying. Uh, I knew about the yoke and the pedals on the floor, but pretty much nothing else. I remember one of the first, one of the first misconceptions I had was uh, when you want to go up, you pull the yoke back. When you want to go down, you push it away. And that was, no, you don't do that. When uh, Horace explained very firmly that when you want to go down, you pull the power back. Conversely, when you want to go up, you increase it. And that that was a tough one for me to understand because I had seen enough Sky King stuff on the TV that I, I pretty I thought I pretty much knew how to fly a plane. Boy, was I ever wrong. <laughs> yeah. Kirby Grant was a, was a real pilot, but it, Hollywood does change some things. And there was another incident with the altimeter that you told me about. Well, yeah. He, he told me you set the altimeter at the elevation of the airport for me not to worry about the 
about the barometer, which I got over the ATUS, I guess. And uh, he said, set it at 400 feet. That's what the elevation here is. And I said, well, why don't we just set it at zero? I mean, that'll, the, I won't have to do any math <laughs> worrying, worrying about this, that, or, you know, worrying about pattern altitude or anything. And he just kind of looked at me with one of his long looks and he says, yes, set it up, you know. Again, my way or the highway. Yeah, that was it. He, he charged me $25 an hour. I flew the plane, paid for the fuel, and uh, he wanted $100 bills every four hours. And it got to the point where you were up around 20 hours and it was time to solo. This is the day we want to talk about, about your I laughed moment, because the the solo itself was important. But there's another part of it that we'll get to that uh, that really was a, an incredible, uh, an incredibly challenging moment for you and for some other people. But tell us about the solo. I'm assuming he uh, had you run around the pattern a little bit and finally he stepped out of the airplane. And uh, what did you think was going to go on? Well, I thought uh, he probably had a small bladder because more than once uh he would uh he would have me stop and he would get out of the airplane and pee uh <laughs> so we we flew the pattern at uh ninana uh probably uh, four or five times and finally he said okay pull over there and pull over there and stop it um we had been doing touch and go so anyway he got out and i thought he was gonna have to pee again and he says no i want you to take it around the pattern three times three different flap settings. So the Ninana Airport, you had been based at Fairbanks, but you went over to Ninana to do to do your to do this solo work. Yeah, because it was a nice wide long airport and there was very little traffic. It was gravel. Big tires on the 170 and ready to go just perfect for Alaska. Yeah, yeah. On my last landing, I got cut off by a super cub who just came straight in. And uh, I slipped off to the right a little bit and did a go-around while he landed. And then I, I flew a very tight pattern that time and uh, landed again. And uh, Horace came over and was explained to him what was happening. And he said, uh, and he had never given me any accolades before, but he, what he said was, you were in the pattern and had the priority, but uh, it was good you didn't argue. He said, what, what did he say on the radio? And when I told him that the guy didn't use the radio, uh, he got, Uh-oh. oh, yeah. Yeah, and Horace walked over there and had a talk with him, and I'm not sure what they said, but that cub left immediately. That was a challenge for you because if this guy was going Nordo and wasn't flying a pattern, according to Horace, that was a big, big mistake. Well, you know, the first time I saw the guy, he was about even with me and probably probably 20 or 30 feet less altitude and no more than 50 feet off my wing. Wow. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was pretty close. I don't know whether he saw me, but I sure saw him. And, um, but anyway, I, I soloed and he said, congratulations and all this stuff. And I says, aren't you going to cut my t-shirt? He just gave me one of his looks. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do that stuff. Uh, we flew back to, uh, Fairbanks, uh, over the Alaska railroad that winds its way through some hills. Uh, that are between Fairbanks and Ninana. And we were almost back to Fairbanks, uh, where the Alaska Railroad crosses over Sheep Creek Road. Uh, about the time we got to Ann's Greenhouse, which was little more than a potato farm at the time. It's a little bigger now. Uh, 
Anne's Greenhouse yep. is just a place that's there that's sort of a visual checkpoint for you when you're getting close to the airport? Yes. About the time we got to Anne's Greenhouse, because I had flown the tracks before, uh, Horace would say, oh, go, get up to pattern altitude and let's head for the barn. Uh, and I was just maybe in the process of starting that. And we spotted a taxi cab that was just off the Sheep Creek Road, and it was in a ditch. Uh, on the left of the road, and the driver's door was open, and there was a man, I, I thought it was a man, not sure, and, and he's laying kind of half out of the car. His feet were kind of still in the car, but his torso was was on the ground. And uh, Horace said something like, I got it, and uh, he made a quick turn, and we landed uh, right next to a plowed potato patch. And we ran over to the taxi and found the driver uh, was quite dead. Oh, boy. Uh, he had a, a gunshot in the back of his head. He said, wait here. And uh, he says, I'll be back. He says, I've got to got to get up in the air so I can hit the tower and, and get some troopers over here. This is 1976, long before cell phones. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he, he went and got the plane. And uh, I didn't think there was enough runway for him to get in the air. Uh about the time he got up to a few hundred feet, was able to call the tower. And about the time he landed, a state trooper arrived. The trooper wanted to know what we knew. And I had been concentrating on the flying. Uh, but Horace said that just as we arrived, uh, it looked like there had been a school bus that was uh, stopped at the tracks and was leaving. And he thought that maybe the bus had picked up a passenger there. And uh, that's something that they did in Alaska at the time. And we knew about the time, and the dispatcher called Laidlaw, the school bus transportation company, and they knew what bus it was, and they were able to CB, CB radio uh, to the bus. And the bus driver said that he had uh, let the passenger off at the University Mall. And a trooper, several troopers, went over to the University Mall, and they had a description of the guy, and they picked him up leaving a flower and gift shop 30 minutes after the event. And this is the guy was later to they, be they, determined that, that murdered the cab driver. Yes. So it was really bittersweet. I, I had soloed, and I was, that was just probably, other than the day I got married, it was the best day of my life. But it was also one of the worst days of my life because I'm not used to seeing people with holes in their head. Wow. It was kind of it was kind of sad. Sad indeed, Wayne. Let's take a break and when we come back, we'll discuss what you learned about flying from that right after this message from Avemco. Since 1961, Avemco has been the only aircraft insurance company that lets you speak directly with a decision maker empowered to approve coverage based on your unique situation. Visit avemco.com flying or call 800-338-8705 for a quote and save an instant 5% for being an I Learned About Flying From That listener. Save even more for most recurrent training, a new rating, or participating in fast team wings. Just ask an Avemco Aviation Insurance Specialist how you can qualify and how much you'll save. Now, back to ILAF. We're back with Wayne Pinger, who had a momentous 
first solo in his Cessna 170 up there in Alaska. And Wayne, you learned some good things. One of them was had to do with coming very, very close to another airplane on final there at, uh, at the airport when you were soloing. There's a pretty good lesson to be learned from that about see and avoid. Yeah, uh, because people aren't always going to do what they're supposed to. The guy should have been on the radio. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't see me, and maybe he thought he was coming into a airport that was just naked of other planes. But even if there's nobody around, get on the radio. You know, when you're ten miles out, announce it. And if when he didn't have a radio, he should have at least flown the pattern. Absolutely. If he didn't have a radio, he should have overflown the, the the airport to see if to see if there was anybody there. Yeah, even before he got into the pattern, you know, it, not everybody had a radio then, uh, and I understand that. But I thought he was kind of reckless. That's one. What's another lesson you learned about flying that day? I would say specifically with respect to how you were following the the railroad tracks from the Nanana Airport back to Fairbanks. I think that is the best training a person can get. You can do endless touch-and-go landings at an airport, but it's hard on the equipment, and I'm not sure you're learning a lot. Uh, just fly a couple hundred feet over, over some bendy railroad tracks with variable winds, uh, which always occur in the hills, and it's super training. Uh, a few hours of that, and, and you're, you're not in your airplane. You're wearing it. I mean, it's, it's just like you put the thing on. It's, uh, boy, oh boy. I, it, it's the best training I've ever had. By I far. so resonate with that. Uh, you, you talked once uh, when we were talking earlier about keeping the airplane coordinated. Yeah, uh, because, I mean, the airplane flies just really great all by itself. Uh, all you're doing is putting the, all you're doing is putting the elevators and, 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 and flaps and ailerons in a position to let the plane fly where it's going to go. And if you do it in a coordinated manner, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. There was a time when you were on the way back with the airplane with your buddy, who was the non-instrument rated pilot who had some instrument training and was fortunately, when you went into the clouds, able to keep the shiny side up. And the the big elephant in the room there is people would say, why didn't you do a 180? But up in that area of the lake where you were going, there wasn't room to do a 180. Uh, that, that's correct. Um, maybe he should have been flying. I mean, we were kind of going into a little mini canyon, and maybe he should have been flying far to one side or the other so that, you know, he could turn around. But I don't fault him for that at all. It worked out okay, and uh, no harm, no foul. Wow. As we sit here many years later, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and second-guess his decision. But as you said, he grabbed the chart and must have determined that a 180 wouldn't work. I'm grateful that he was far enough along in his instrument training that he was able to maintain control throughout the climb and get up on top to continue your flight. And perhaps one other lesson would be is to trust your instructor, not Hollywood movies about how to fly an airplane. Normally, at this point in an episode, I'd say thanks to Wayne Pinger for being on I Laughed. 
And I did that, and after we stopped recording, Wayne shared something that I think is an extremely valuable lesson for all of us. And so I pressed record again, and we did a second ending to this episode. Wayne, after all these years, you have decided to hang it up. And on one of our previous episodes, Paul Entrican said he heard the little voice telling him, you know, it's time, time to hang it up and quoting Clint Eastwood saying a man's got to know his limitations. But you have just recently decided to hang it up and not fly anymore. Tell me about that. Just this weekend, I uh, emptied the hangar. Uh, I no longer uh, have a plane. And uh, we're going to quit playing red on the hangar here pretty soon. Um, yeah, I was driving to Medford and uh, in traffic. I was on I was on I five going south uh, under cruise control, and I came up behind the truck, and I forgot how to turn my cruise control off. Wow! And uh, well, I you know you hit the brake and it goes off, and, and I knew that. But as far as the little, uh, you know, handle over on the left, uh, I either forgot what car I was in. But anyway, I don't want to be forgetful when I'm flying a plane. I'm 80 years old. I had a great time flying. I've never dented a plane, never hurt a passenger. And I thought it was time to hang it up. And I don't need someone else telling me to do it. A guy's got to know his own limitations. A great, yes, thank you. Thank you, Clint Eastwood. Yes, that's Yeah, a true. great lesson learned. Thanks very, very much. You bet. Hearing that still, small voice and heeding its admonitions may be the most important lesson learned in Wayne Pinger's nearly 50 years of accident-free flying in Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Wayne Pinger's novels, Angel's Odyssey, Angel's Diamonds, and Angel's Treasure, are all centered around bush flying in Alaska. Those novels, along with several others he's written, are all available on Amazon. Good reads for all of us pilots. If you've got a story that you think might make a good episode for I Laughed, send it to me and we'll check it out. My email is rob at flying.media. That's rob at flying.media. Lisa DeFries is the executive producer of I Laughed. Julie Boatman is editor-in-chief of Flying Magazine. Thanks for listening to I Laughed. Your support of the program has been gratifying to me personally, and I do hope you'll subscribe and share it with your friends, pilots and non-pilots alike. You can follow Flying Magazine on Facebook or Instagram, where we'll post new episodes every couple of weeks so everyone can hear the first-hand accounts of the flying lessons that sometimes only experience can teach. For Avemco Aviation Insurance and Flying Magazine, fueling the passion for flight since 1927, I'm Rob Ryder. Catch you next time on I Learned About Flying From That.